0: Hello and welcome to What the FinTech, a new podcast from the team behind FinTech Futures and the Banking Technology magazine. My name is Alex Hamilton, Deputy Editor at FinTech Futures. I'm joined today by Sharon Kamathi, editor at FinTech Futures. Hello. And Nadia Sood, group CEO and founder of Credit Enable.
1: Great to be here, thank
0: you. Uh, we're going to be chatting more about Credit Enable and lending later on. Uh, but first we're going to look at some industry trends that have been already making waves this year. Uh, It's been a big year so far. We've seen lots of mergers and acquisitions. We've seen branch closures. We've seen uh, some fairly substantial data leaks and the rise of some SME lenders. Uh, I think, Sharon, there was one that you wanted to to kick things off with to chat about.
2: Yes, I'm going to plug myself. Um, So I wrote a feature um, with a woman who was working um, as a branch manager for many years um, in a North London branch she refused to say exactly which bank (laughs) but um, I think I have my guesses Um, but of course they'll remain off the record and she was basically talking about how the culture shifted all of a sudden when there was a move towards digital and people using their phones um, to cutting back how many branches they were and first it was the staff members so it was slowly sort of moving away from talking to people who are coming in that community feeling to one that's a bit more like streamlined corporate TM um, where people just come in do their thing and just leave whereas before they had this touch of we're going to get involved in initiatives like the Daimololo Trust um, who uh, sadly was a boy who got killed um, in London a couple of years ago and that branch specifically helped raise money and funding for it um, for initiatives to help their parents move forward um, and they just helped the community in general in North London um, but as we've seen um, within just a couple of months this, this year already Capital One has announced 37 US branch closures Lloyds Banking Group is planning to close 31 branches in the UK, um, and Unicredit as well, um, not only slashing their 6,000 rolls but also closing 450 branches. So it looks like the death of the branch is coming upon us and I, I do feel for it a little bit.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's one of those things that um, the numbers seem to keep growing and growing they don't seem to stop. I mean, every year a bank announces a new selection of branch closures and every year they're told by unions and they're told by community groups don't don't cut them, we need them. Uh, I mean, I wonder at at some point if we're just going to end up with one shopping mall-sized branch in Mm -hmm. London that everyone can just commute to or make some sort of (laughs) mecca-like journey to use in the near future with aisles of ATMs. But uh, it seems to be going that way. Consolidation is, is is the name of the game for these banks. And I mean, I think they may be stuck in between a rock and a hard place when they're looking at the operating costs of these branches versus how more regularly their customers are interacting with them on digital channels like mobile and on the internet. But then they also they have a lot of customers who also rely on the branch of their everyday needs as well. So it's, it's definitely something that is a struggle for them. And I, But I think that at the end of the day, profits are always going to come out on top.
2: Yeah, it's yeah, unfortunate. And how about you Nadia? What was your hot topic for this discussion out of the mergers data leaks and SME lenders. Hmm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay, I guess I'll plug myself too. <laughs> obviously I care a lot about SME lending. That's really what we try to facilitate. And but what what we what you were saying, Sharon resonated so well as well because there's a the conflict obviously between the branch, but then what is the bank's role or the lender's role in society and how do they continue to interact with their customer in a meaningful and engaged way, even if they have to close a branch. And that's where I think technology can be really exciting enabler of that. And that's really where we try to sit as the intersection between the consumer and the lender to help them navigate each other better and get to a bigger um, better conclusion for themselves. So it's really exciting to see that the bigger banks are starting to look seriously at the sector and what is the innovation that's going in there and how can they buy it actually so that they can continue to be close to their customers instead of too distant from them.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's 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 definitely a, a segment that has always been well. It's being less overlooked now, especially the SME market. I think there's when when the um, when those uh, bank rankings were published in the UK about you know we. Which customers rated their services, and you saw there were quite some, there were a lot uh, fewer larger banks at the top of those those rankings. And I think it's been a bit of a, a kick up the backside for a lot of these banks. They realise that their SME customers need um, specifically, you know, their own tailored services. You can't just slap on a, a business uh, label on top of an existing, you know, current account and say that that's fine. That works exactly the same way. Uh, and I think you look at um, in some cases the challenges like Starling Bank, for example, or or Tide. Um, Who are providing uh, or even Oak North in fact who are providing these services that SMEs have been sort of crying out for and I think It's also becoming a more lucrative market in that way where you you provide these services that the SMEs need and they reward you in turn with their custom and and, and interacting with you more often
1: Absolutely, and I think Um, There's a huge opportunity because, you know, globally, SMEs are the backbone of economies. They produce most of the jobs in a society. They produce most of the GDP growth. Interestingly, also for inclusion, they produce most of the jobs for people who are generally dis unincluded from society. So mm-hmm. women, returning moms, minorities of all kinds are normally better able to find a job in that sector than they might be in the corporate sector. So neglecting them is absolutely problematic as a mm-hmm. society. And how, but then how do uh, large financial institutions get into that segment profitably is an interesting question.
2: Yeah, I think so, especially when you're looking at Goldman Sachs being in advanced talks <laughs> <laughs> with Amazon to offer small loans to the U.S. businesses um, over its tech platform because then it begs the question of what sort of look are they going for because as we were talking before, it's mainly that touch with you know your branch. You're going in there, you're you know an early uh, small business and you need to know what it is you're doing. It helps having that person in front of you you know, guiding you through when you're going into a branch, yet yeah, with this sort of move, it sort of tells me that it's more digital and it's just gonna be like you doing your stuff with Amazon, like this big sort of you know vacuous thing that you, you can't really see or feel. Um, so I, I do wonder what your thoughts are about that and where you see it going.
1: Yeah, I think the key is really how do you personalize the interaction through technology? If if it's just a game of scale, then obviously it's going to be problematic because business, uh, small businesses are faced with kind of like a double whammy in that they're, they're assessed as though they're a corporate, but they generally don't have the level of sophistication, the number of people, the budgets to spend mm-hmm. that a corporate does. So for example, if you're suggesting to a small business that they need to build a financial model in order to be able to forecast their revenue and their profitability, this is very complicated. It's mm-hmm. not complicated for Goldman Sachs to do that for mm-hmm. a large corporate. I mean, they have whole teams that do those kind of things. And the, the, normally in a small business, the promoter is kind of doing everything, You know, mm-hmm. accounting, uh, marketing. Yeah sales, all, and, and they have small teams, so they have to be nimble. It also means they can't be deeply technical skilled, technically skilled in all subject matters. So the more that these bigger financial institutions can actually try to impart that knowledge to their SME clients, even if that is digitally, in a simplified manner, the more meaningful the relationship will be. But I'm not sure that, um, so far, we haven't seen too many examples of that being successfully executed. And so I think that's what allows us as credit enabled to fill a huge gap in the market that we actually not we're not just using technology to speed up the underwriting process and create better loan opportunities and more affordable capital for small businesses. We're also helping them navigate the process of talking to the financial institution mm-hmm. and likewise the financial institution helping them to talk in a more meaningful, engaged way with their customer.
2: Absolutely. And how about you then, Alex? What hot topic stood out for you?
1: Uh, well, I think I, I always
0: recall, uh, I think it was actually last year when the, the five of the six major CEOs of the banks in the in the US said that cybersecurity was going to be their their big threat in this year. Mm. And uh, we're going to continue to see it. And we've seen data leaks from, from companies as big as, well, not even companies, from regulators, even the FCA has had mm. to admit to its own data breach lately. And I think this year is going to be a year in which we see uh, perhaps not massively damaging ones, but we're going to see a lot more disclosure, especially around things like GDPR as well. Mm -hmm. And I think we are likely to see this year probably our first big GDPR fine, I think. and uh, Everyone has become a lot more focused around around data because of GDPR. I mean, it's not necessarily the case that they weren't bothered about consumer data beforehand, but they're certainly bothered now that they can take a 4% hit on global revenue. and I remember going to a uh, a security conference not too long ago where someone said that at the minute the landscape is looking like a lot of firms are, um, they're sort of hiding under the table with their, th- their fingers in their ears, sort of just mm-hmm. going, with, if we ignore GDPR for long enough uh, and we just say minimally compliant, it'll go away and we don't need to worry about it. But I, I think there'll be a, I reckon there will be a big fine this year for someone. Uh, and I think we're seeing the first ripples of that now and banks are being exposed again and again. We had... Um, uh, the um, exchange company uh, TravelX earlier this year that that, mm-hmm. that huge huge problem for them affecting the entire industry and I think it shows the seriousness of, of the a lack of data protection that can, that can be exploited by cyber criminals. Continue looking more at financial institutions as targets. I mean, it's always been a it's always been an industry that's been targeted quite heavily by hackers and and cyber criminals. But and uh, it's interesting really because uh, banks are probably at the forefront of, of security, but at the same time they're still being exposed. And I think we're only going to see more of that in, in, in the year to come. It's exciting for us as journalists. I yeah. It's not, it's, not, it's, not great, it's not great if you work in a bank or you work in compliance or you work in security. But for us as journalists, it's nothing, there's nothing better than a cybersecurity story or a data leak story.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you, Like especially with the Equifax one. Um, I remember receiving one of their pitches earlier this month, and they wanted to talk to me about their latest tech. And I went back with them saying, I would like to talk to you about your data breach. And I heard nothing about that <laughs> ever ever since but they did pay a massive fine um or other settlement uh for their, their big attack and with things like Equifax because they're like um credit searching or, or bureaus rather mm-hmm. um how does that affect people feeling comfortable enough to get their credit ratings um checked especially mm-hmm. when it comes to receiving that credit because you're going to need it mm-hmm. and I guess you you might deal with that a little bit is there a way that you can talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, data protection is kind of at the heart of
1: what, what we built at the foundation of our business on. And we operate in India and in the UK. And mm-hmm. even though India doesn't have GDPR, we actually apply GDPR there to our behavior because it is considered to globally to be the most stringent standard. Of course, it has an impact on consumers because they're increasingly worried about, like, what, where is my data? What are you mm-hmm. doing with it? Are you treating it? In a way that I want you to treat it. Are you doing other things with it? The biggest challenges we have with people is is to explain to them, for example, that we're going to secure your data for a specific purpose, but we're not going to use it to, you know, make sure an ice cream manufacturer starts marketing ice cream to you, or a Vodafone starts to call you to ask you if you want a mobile phone because you didn't intend your data to be used for that purpose. You wanted to secure credit, so that's what we'll try to to do with it. Mm. But certainly I think companies need to be really clear about their privacy policies. Mm. They need to have good, robust you know, systems in place to ensure that they're not hacked and they need to try to layer the data in different places so that it's less easy to, to access it. Um, and then communicate, communicate, communicate always. Mm. And give people the option to opt out. If they don't want to continue engaging with you, they should be allowed to not continue engaging with you.
2: Mm. Absolutely.
0: I think uh, at a time like this as well. I mean, we, we, we recently well, we are completing a, a report into cloud transformation in the industry, and I think. Uh, at a time where a lot of organizations are looking at where they store their data and how they store their data, something like uh, cloud transformation is a, is a big thing this year as well. Uh, I mean, we're, we're, far, we're a far cry from the days where people would think of cloud computing as data that's flying through the air and be scared that someone could just grab it out of thin air. But I think, uh, especially when more and more companies are moving to things like large infrastructure players, uh, that concerns over security become more uh, forefront of their minds. Uh, especially when you look at things like uh, recent trust problems with comp- large companies like Facebook. Uh, obviously Facebook isn't necessarily an Amazon, but you know, all it takes is one issue for the whole thing to come tumbling down in some cases. And I think it's a real big issue with consumer trust and data right now. And it's a good thing that consumers are now more worried about their data. Um, not necessarily if you're someone who works in compliance, but um, it, I think it's, it's only good for the consumers. And the fact that firms are having to shore up on these things is, is only a good thing as well. Okay, and, and now for the, uh, the second part of the podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to take care of your customer and how to treat borrowers, sort of a, a deep dive on the lending process. Uh, Sharon's going to take the lead on this one because I'm going to let her off the leash. and
2: Woo-hoo i'm free <laughs> <laughs> crack
0: on. i've been talking far too much so far so I'll, I'll, I'll let you crack on sharon
2: well thank you so much alex for that um so let's dive right into um some of these hot topic points i've got for LendTech. so some research by tide revealed that smes are on average chasing five outstanding invoices at any one time and that's eating into an hour and a half each of their days so first I want to see if this is something that you've heard of in your line of business um, or something that's you know a huge problem how to tackle it so yeah take it away Nadia Thanks so much. Yeah. I mean, there's so many
1: issues that SMEs have to face on a daily basis, but I can actually categorically confirm that their research is true. I think Mm -hmm. it's probably even more than five invoices, and I think it's probably eating up a lot more time depending on the country that you're in and how um, digitally savvy your your actual customer is as well. So Mm -hmm. if if you don't have an accounting package that's chasing up your customers and they don't have one that's Letting them understand they should be paying on time. It's probably eating up a lot more time, mm. and it's very. It's a very. There's a very um, interesting dichotomy where small businesses get really excited when they land a blue chip client as a customer because I think this is stability of income. The problem often is that they don't necessarily get paid in a timely manner by that that entity because in the balance of things, um, SMEs are definitely not at the top of the pile for either power or leverage, mm. um, and they're getting paid, you know, late, especially if you're getting paid really late, has a massive impact on your cash flow. It also has a massive impact on whether or not you're going to be able to pay back a loan, even if you're highly profitable and highly revenue generating. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a big issue. And um, technology interventions that can help manage these things and also advice to help SMEs understand what is, you know, a normal payment cycle in your sector, what should you be demanding of your customers as FAIR is really super important
2: yeah and speaking of um, what you demand your customers is fair what would you consider fair treatment i know that the fca has got their six consumer outcomes but how about you guys how do you operate with fairness So we really want to
1: help SMEs essentially, first of all, understand as much about themselves as possible and then understand as much as possible about the lending process. So the most difficult thing for small businesses normally is to figure out, okay, first of all, how financially strong am I compared to everyone else? I know I'm working really hard every year. I know I'm seeing an incremental benefit possibly every year, but am I really performing well compared to my peers, and how is my sector actually doing? Am I at risk even though I don't realize that I am? And so giving them the maximum amount of data is one of our first priorities, because if you have data that's um, that comes along with insight, you can make different choices. You can kind of see things before they're going to happen. This is the advantage that the huge behemoths like Amazon and others have. Mm-hmm. They have access to such amazing data sets. They can anticipate a huge trend in a certain market way before anyone else can and take action. So as much as we can do that for SMEs is what we're all at Credit enabled, that's what we're in the business of. Secondly is then how do you navigate the lending process? What do you What do you need to tell the lender and show the lender and in what format for them to be able to accept you as a borrower? And this is actually reasonably complicated. It seems like it should be straightforward. Mm -hmm. You just tell them who you are, you show them your accounts, and then you go on your merry way. But actually underwriting a small business loan requires lots of documentation Mm -hmm. in certain particular formats. Lots of the stuff has to be notarized, for example. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of kind of technical things you have to do, and most companies don't know that. Um, On the other side of the equation, lenders speak in a language normally that they understand, but small businesses don't. So Mm -hmm. we often will be intervening through technology interventions, for example, in process. So saying to a lender, if you're underwriting a loan that's backed by a piece of property, you don't need to ask for a notarized copy of the deed of the property until after you've told the business that they are eligible. Mm -hmm. There's no point of collecting the paperwork in advance especially because then you're wasting time trying to authenticate it and they're wasting time trying to get it done and they're spending money trying to get it done. And at the end of the day, none you weren't going to do the loan anyway. Mm. So reorder your process and then communicate well about it to people. To me, these things are fundamental to fairness because if the p- playing field is leveled for both parties, the transaction will be more fair for everyone. Mm.
2: Yeah, I've seen that um, in other areas of the financial industry, there's been this strong attempt to ensure that retail customers actually understand what it is that they're doing Um, i know that there's been um prips kids under usits and yes those are a lot of acronyms that i cannot remember all of them and what they stand for right (laughs) now but what i do (laughs) remember is that they're there to try and essentially help safeguard um the end consumer doing something that they shouldn't have done or they didn't fully understand do you think that the lending industry as well should perhaps look into getting something similar to that just ensuring that their end customer these smes fully appreciate and understand the gravity of what it is they sign up for um and also for the banks as well and for these lenders to ensure they're not doing anything inappropriate
1: yeah absolutely i think you know
2: transparency
1: and and beyond that not just transparency but like clear definitions of things so Mm. pack you know, communications in a way that people can actually understand what it means. So, mm-hmm. if you hide everything in the bottom of a page and it's very complicated technical jargon, mm-hmm. will the customer really understand what that means? And you see it really in the rise of these sort of payday lenders that just went online and suddenly had like 30,000% interest rates, mm-hmm. and people thought that they were just taking a five pound loan and they didn't realize that actually at the end of a month it was going to be a 500 pound mm-hmm. loan. Um, you know, so. I absolutely agree. I think it's critical that the communications is clear, that people understand what they're getting into, that they understand the consequences, and they're helped to understand which product is best for them. That's one of the things we spend a lot of time on. We have a lending, we have a matching algorithm essentially that's highly sophisticated that says, you're a high growth business, you don't need this type of loan. You need a loan that allows you to repay the principal later, pay the interest back first, so you free up cash flow, you can keep growing. If you're a more mature, mature business, we'll find a exactly different type of loan for you that meets what you really need to do. Mm. And that and lenders also need to help in that process, right? Not just to sell product, but to sell the right product to you for the thing you're trying to do at the right time.
2: Mm. And I was now thinking about how you mentioned earlier that you guys are based in the UK, but also in India. And what are the differences as well when you're dealing with customers from each jurisdiction? So it's very interesting. I've always found it fascinating that in the SME segment,
1: it's kind of always the same in every Country, there's some interesting kind of global facts, which is that on average, when people sort of attain a level of need of financing of about a hundred thousand U.S. dollars, like give or take seventy-five thousand pounds, it's where they they can't get the money anymore from like the informal economy, family and friends, and they need to go into the formal sector and access bank f- funding or non-bank finance company funding, um, and and. <clears throat> The the challenges are always the same. They're deeply underserved by formal financial institutions. They don't understand how to talk to them. They don't understand the process they're supposed to go to. And lots of times they can't produce the documentation in the format that the lender needs from them. Mm -hmm. So they end up being marginalized. And back in the informal economy, where on average they're paying above 35% interest regardless of the country, which is scandalizing, right? Mm -hmm. And you think if they can service that level of debt, they should be getting a bank loan because they're obviously credit worthy. Really? <laughs> so, so these are the challenges that are the same everywhere. I think um, the difference in the two markets um, between India and the U.K. is that lending has been highly concentrated in, to the in the U.K. between like four or five financial institutions who did all the SME lending. That's being massively challenged by the incumbent banks now. Mm-hmm. In in India, it's a really unconsolidated market with hundreds of in, lenders lending and SMEs moving around a lot to try to get better rates. So they have a, like a lesser degree of stickiness to their financial institution mm-hmm. than U.K. ones will. <laughs> Um, <laughs> which the creates love certain challenges. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's certainly creates certain challenges. And I think there was a lot of inertia before in the UK market that SMEs were reluctant to move. And, you know, people thought Revolut and these guys would never succeed. And mm-hmm. now look at how many people carry those credit cards. And I think you're going to start to see a massive shift where SMEs are saying, I need, I, why shouldn't I get the same level of customer service that I do as a consumer, as a business? And mm-hmm. if someone can offer that to me, I will go
2: there. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for that. Alex, you got anything to add? I know you're dying for your favorite topic, Lentech.
1: (laughs) Well, you know,
0: I'm self-confessed obsessive about regulatory technology, but um, no, I think it's interesting what you said there at the end about people wanting the same service from their current accounts as they do their business. Is that something you mentioned as well at the start? Is that something that transcends borders as well? Yeah. Something that's definitely happening in in a market like India as well
1: as in the UK. Absolutely. I mean, consumers everywhere are becoming so digitally savvy. Like, you need only go to certain parts of Africa that maybe 10 years ago had no digital access at all. Mm -hmm. And now we're like, getting loans on a mobile phone in five seconds. I mean, it's extraordinary what's happened. So because of that instantaneous gratification and the smooth customer journey that people have focused on in the consumer sector, of course, SMEs are like, well, I'm also a consumer. I also have an iPhone. I also know that things can be fast and cool. Why do they have to be so stodgy, old, paper-based and not customer-friendly just because I'm a business? Mm. So I think there's increasingly going to be more and more pressure for the customer journey to be delineated properly for businesses, for them to have the same level of standards and that's really what, what, what why we are able to win because that's how we think about them we're like why should you have a lesser experience than mm. anyone else out there you mm. des- you actually deserve more because you <laughs> contribute more you're more important
2: oh that's a really cool way of looking at it um, it's kind of like a, a Love Island motto to be honest where it's like you know I'm, I'm happy but could I be happier <laughs> that's
0: two references to Love
2: Island <laughs> I know oh, I didn't even watch the latest one it's just in the back of my mind I don't know. <laughs> do
0: you think, do you think there's, a, um, there's perhaps something to be said about emerging markets sort of breaking the mold in this way? Because you look at you mentioned that there were always a, a, a set of incumbents, especially in a market like the UK, who controlled most of the SME lending. But whereas you look at places, like you mentioned, like Africa, you have solutions like MPESA coming through. Uh, you look at somewhere like China, where you can go and, and pay for a, 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 like a, bu- a bucket of oranges with a QR code now. Um, are those markets places where innovation is, is flourishing uh, and really showing the, the range of services that can be offered to both uh, individuals and SMEs compared to a market, a more developed market in air quotes, which has more stodgier processes that have been in place for hundreds of years?
1: Yeah, I think so. There's there's probably something to do with complacency. Once you get to a certain size as well as a market and certain things have been working reasonably well for some time, then you get a bit complacent. And I think there's no complacency when you go to Asia at all. Mm-hmm. Like these are fast growing economies. There's a million people a month coming into the workforce in India, right? Where are they going to get jobs? So there's a huge amount of technological innovation going on. and. We have a thing called Jugar, which is like, you know, if there's a tractor and it's broken and you can't get to the mechanic, you stick a stick in and hope that it drives forward. And this creates (laughs) a lot of like, innovation out of necessity, right? So necessity is breeding these things too. Mm. Like people can't get to their bank. It takes so long to withdraw money physically from a bank in any emerging market that the QR code comes up because then at least you can pay for your oranges. Yeah,
2: that is so (laughs) true. Cause I'm from Kenya originally and I da 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 spoiler alert um and that's where Mpesa was growing so fast and I've seen plenty of my relatives you know opt for just using their mobile phones however there is a bit of a risk now because um quite a few of them have been hacked now we have been talking about data breaches and the move towards digital as well when you have SME lending that's like a a big you know deal when they have all of their money and and it's Basically, like just digital, that they've handled this so far. Um, how do you think that they can best protect themselves, or do you think that it's more the onus on the lender to ensure that their end customers' data and also, you know, when working digitally, all of that stuff is sorted out security wise? Yeah, I think obviously the lender has the biggest responsibility to ensure the protection of its
1: clients' data. I think small businesses, um, this comes back to the education point again, Mm. though, right? Like, how do you modularize yourself, for example, to protect yourself? So are you changing your passwords on a regular basis? Do you have a password change regime inside Mm -hmm. of your company? Do you have somebody who's monitoring these things inside of your company, even if it's not a full-time person because you can't afford that, but at least someone who has the functional responsibility for that? Then are you monitoring that the parties you're interacting with with whom you're sharing data are being responsible about Mm -hmm. that. So not just kind of leaving it to fate also but taking control yourself and saying I'm going to interact with responsible parties who are clear about what they do Mm -hmm. are transparent I'll take the steps to protect myself and I'll demand that my lenders also comply in helping me with that.
0: OK, and now for the final segment of the show, uh, the fintech jail. Uh, Nadia is going to give us a list of uh, subject matters, trends, buzzwords that she wants thrown in the fintech jail, and then Sharon and I will decide at the end of the segment whether they deserve to be locked away. Unfortunately, blockchain and AI have already been taken, <laughs> firmly locked away early on. So I hope I hope uh, they weren't on the list, but Nadia, you, you go ahead and, and let us know what, what's really uh, grinding your gears in the industry
1: so i guess um i'll just throw out one word that i think probably needs to go into jail Um, it's great and it's also not great so speed fast easy all of these kind of instant gratification sorts of terminologies that unfortunately technology gets um, wrapped around and whilst those are all important of course Um, there is a a place for things taking a little bit longer so that you get the quality and the the thing you actually need out of the interaction. So, you know, we always struggle with this because we have... You know, if you if you if you do a, like a survey of what are all of the fintechs in the world talking about on any given day first, it's always like a one minute loan, a two second loan, <laughs> a three a three second loan, a three millisecond loan, and, and you know, when you start looking into it, it never really is that fast and it really shouldn't be that fast because both you and the lender need to get comfortable with each other
2: absolutely right i mean i could not be more terrified if i could just go on my phone and just get like a 10k loan in one minute without really fully thinking about it or like buying a car just like that boom it's done and now i owe this debt (laughs) like i i should probably have a moment to think about it i don't actually need it to be that speedy and how about you alex what grinds your gears about this
0: well i mean i I agree with you at the same time i i'm a person who's never owned a credit card uh yes i'm terrified of debt in general uh you know having I, I saw. So I I went to university just after the the financial crisis mm-hmm. and i mean back then i knew nothing about it but having read about it i just avoid anything to do with credit so if, if so anyone true. offers me anything straight away i'm just like why
2: uh, what's the catch yeah, exactly. is what my mum would say like, I, I, I had a good
0: i i thought about it for like two to three weeks before i i took credit out to get a new mobile phone and that was just, that was like four instalments of about 100 pounds and i was oh. i was still like oh my i don't know am not sure if I'm, <laughs> like, I'm keen for this so I, I i think no i think you're right i think there can be an obsession with And I think you'll hear a lot of it on the conference circuit is that Mm. everything has to be real time, has to be Mm. now. Mm. Uh, Customers demand it. But I think customers also demand a certain level of caution when it comes to things that have a lot of import in their lives mm. I mean yeah people want real time services when they want to load up a film but they don't necessarily want a 10k loan instantly because they'll be like why, why have you just given this to me <laughs> exactly. like, they want, they want some checks this? and balances I
2: imagine <laughs> you
1: know? even over themselves
2: yeah you have to rein me in like I cannot be controlled like with, with all this real time payment stuff happening like what if I was drunk on a night out and I could just like access it on my phone and boom I, I think 10k is a great idea and now I can buy shots for everyone <laughs> but then what about the next Next day, I am not gonna have a great time. No, <laughs> real time, more like bad time for me.
1: Well, well, that's absolutely right, and it's so it comes down to you know how do you balance? I would say I like to use the term efficiency more than speed. So mm-hmm. making it, making it more efficient, less less friction, less pain, Um, but then with quality. So, you know, if you're a small business and you're taking out a 250,000 pound loan, Mm. this is a substantial financial commitment. It's Mm. a substantial commitment to your future, to the business, to the people working for you, to be able to ensure that you can repay that loan and not have the asset that you might have used as collateral repossessed, right? Yeah. having a bit of time also to be counselled about okay in this particular case this is the type of loan you should be taking out it should you know it should look like this this other type of loan that someone's offered you actually won't be good for you in this situation that you're in in your business. Um, that's extremely important. So I think yes, efficiency. Yes, everybody wants like instantaneous gratification, but I would take efficiency and quality over just instant. You know, instant answer, mm. instant dispersal, instant move forward.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think. I mean, I'm a little biased about this because when whenever someone says speed, it just reminds me of all those conference sessions I've been to where people talk about you know, Uber and Netflix and Spotify. It's always the things Mm -hmm. people say immediately when they talk about speed, and Mm it always I shut off immediately in any 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 talk like that. I mean, I mean, Sharon, what what's your what are your thoughts? Do you think it, it needs it should go in the jail? Yes, or?
2: throw it <laughs> in there, lock it up, throw away the key. Twenty five years minimum, surely. Um, no parole. It's in it's, <laughs> it's in good company.
0: Blockchain AI and speed.
2: Exactly. So, <laughs> no, I mean, and we'll, technology we'll, on drugs. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we'll lock we'll lock that up, and uh, maybe someone in the future will want to unlock it, but we'll 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 see. Oh uh, my
2: God! Yeah, speed up your AI blockchain solution. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, we've already thrown in speed. So uh, so Nadia, is there there another one that that really uh, gets you go?
2: Well, there's
1: another one and all of these are kind of of a bit counterintuitive to what I do, but I'd like to say it anyway, which is network effects. And, you know, as a financial technology professional, I sometimes sit there and think, what does that mean? Are we doing that? And in (laughs) what way are we doing that? But when it comes down to it, you know, what I really, I think principally that term is supposed to mean that the sum of the parts is greater than, you know, each part individually, and that if you leverage them together, you get a better outcome for the whole ecosystem. The question for me, really, though, is, is the sector moving towards really networking people enough? Or just, is it a technological network effect that benefits the company and not the ecosystem? And Mm. I think the ecosystem effect, theoretically, is the one we're trying to go after, but I'm not sure we're always achieving that. Oh,
2: so the network effect. So how many times have people said this to you? And who are these I mean, people? We can find them. On a, on a daily
1: basis, I'm told something about AI, something about a network effect, something about speed, and how if you don't have all those things or blockchain, then you must not be doing <laughs> something innovative for good. <laughs> it's like how you even even it. <laughs> at the end of the day, when, when we feel the most proud in our business at Credit Enable is when we've actually managed to network a borrower to the right lender and possibly also to some assistance that he or she needed in order to improve themselves. And that's a real network. Network effect, that technology comes in to bridge between two parties who otherwise would never really be able to talk to each other well. So, amplification of that, I think, is what's amazing. But just a fixation on like, network effect as a technology <laughs> term, I think, is the wrong way to
2: go. Alex, has this done it for you?
0: I mean, I, th- I think what I'm hearing there is that the, you're, you, it's sort of when it's done well, it's done well, but the people who do it poorly, Maybe the people who do it poorly deserve to be thrown in jail, but uh, I, mean, I, mean, <laughs> I think it's the, the, the I think it's an industry which right now is um, coming to terms with the idea of collaboration, uh, but it's spent so long uh, in competition that mm. it doesn't quite know exactly how to collaborate properly, uh, and w- which is probably where all this sort of we must network, we must combine, we must marketplace, we must, you know, all these things, ecosystem, holistic platforms all this kind of stuff that really makes your eyes roll when you see it on a press release but I mean, I I don't know, I think I think for me, it's. I think for me, it's a. It's a no going into the jail. Yeah,
2: but. I'm gonna agree because it sounds like you are network affecting the verb, <laughs> so, <laughs> and it sounds like it's working out. I think if I see it at least maybe like twenty more times in a press release, <laughs> then I will throw it in jail. But for me, for now, I'm gonna. I'm Some gonna probation. let it free. Yeah, probation. <laughs> we are monitoring you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh that's all we have time for unfortunately thanks to both sharon and nadia for coming along and thanks to you for listening remember you can catch all the latest industry news analysis reports videos and more on the fintech Futures website and you can find fintech Futures on twitter at fintech underscore futures and on linkedin just search for fintech futures i've been alex hamilton and if you want to follow me on twitter i don't know why you would but i'm at, <laughs> I'm at ad hamilton 91 and sharon what are your
2: socials i've been sharon kimathy and you can find me at fintech kits on twitter and you can just like search my name on linkedin
0: cool and nadia
2: where, and where
1: been, can we find you yeah nadia so at nadia sued on twitter and just search for me as nadia sued on linkedin
0: Fantastic. And if you missed any of that, you can find all the links in the show description. Uh, Thanks again, and until next time, goodbye.